You're with the panel on RNZ National. Wallace Chapman here. Hello to you, Stephen Franks and Zoe George with me today. Uh, State Hire 1 plan ahead for a lane closure in both directions near the Hill Street overbridge tonight uh, for barrier replacement. That's a lane closure. State Hire 1, both directions near the Hill Street overbridge. And a text here regarding that hospital. Just yesterday, my daughter had an operation in the new children's hospital in Wellington, and it is incredible. It is much less gloomy than the previous children's ward in the main hospital, so thank you for that. Talking finances first up, the Financial Services Council released its latest round of research. One in two people worry about money, daily or weekly. 300,000 more people trapped in the worry bubble than this time last year. And several experts were invited in to try and make sense of this research, including Sharon Zollner, who talked of a particular index I wanted to hear all about. It's called the Misery Index. That caught my attention. So with me now is Sharon Zollner, the Chief Economist at ANZ. Kia ora, Sharon. Kia ora. What is the Misery Index? Tell me. It's cheerful, isn't it? Well, it's a very simple <laughs> index, actually. We, uh, we economists uh, can make things overly complicated, but in this case, it's very simple. It's just the unemployment rate plus uh, the inflation rate. That's it. You don't even weight them. You just add them together. Uh, so what, is it, what are you telling us? What does this tell us about this, uh, this research? Well, what was interesting is when I, I did create that index and uh, flipped it upside down, so uh, I could actually see it tracked consumer confidence. Uh, very, very closely. And in particular, it explains the big decline in consumer confidence that we've seen recently and, and shows that it really has been driven by inflation. Of course, the unemployment rate is around a record low, so that's not a revelation. Uh, but it does imply that people hate inflation as much as they hate unemployment, which sort of got a question whether that's a reasonable conclusion to draw. Um, given inflation is obviously uh, deeply, deeply annoying, but unemployment is more of a crisis. And yet some people are still spending. Yeah, I think it explains why retail sales have not declined as much as consumer confidence has. That's why I wanted to know. Yeah, I mean, inflation can be very difficult to manage until your income catches up. But the the benefits and the minimum wage and, and general wage growth have kept pace with inflation. So that direct pressure on people should be easing. Uh, But you know, it's one thing when your costs go up, it's a much much more serious if your income suddenly reduces dramatically, which is what unemployment would suggest. And even the threat of that happening is, is maybe a good reason to save a bit more, uh, just in case uh, right. tough, tougher times come. I'll go to the panel. I do want to come back to this, uh, the unemployment array and uh, the tight labour market, but goodness gracious, every second person I talk to in business that is struggling with staff, let's um, bring Zoe in. Yeah, I was looking at some of these stats. 64% of respondents aged 37 or below worry about money daily, weekly or monthly more than any other age group. And I just want to say, yeah, I'm part of that age group and I'm definitely part of that stat. Um, you know, that's that's quite a significant... I mean, I don't know if you know this, but 37 and below is kind of considered youth uh, in the public service, which I find mildly entertaining. Yeah. Uh, it's nice to know I'm still young. Um, but, you know, it is it is a worry. Um, and What's your big worry in money? Uh, I mean, I'm lucky that I, I own my own home, but I have a mortgage, right. but it's just me. So if something uh. happens to me, 
then how am I meant to afford to pay for that? And I have insurances, and we're going to be talking about that later in the show. So my worry is, you know, and a lot of my money, I don't have a lot of money left over at the end of the fortnight. Um, and if I do, I normally spend it on a plant for the house. <laughs> you know, it's yep. it's um, it's not a lot. I'm trying to save as much as I can, though, as well, because I've been trying to go back to university, and that is expensive in itself. And then just recently, you know, it says here 53% of Kiwis only 53% of Kiwis could access 5,000 within a week uh, in a time of emergency. Well, my heat pump decided it had had enough and died recently, and that's oh, my heating for no. winter. What, um, so what, a couple of grand there, oh, two and a half thousand? Well, try eight. You're kidding, no. You're kidding yeah, me. Yeah, so I, no, you know, going, wrong. how am I going to do this? So no, I've now sorry. had to delay my my study for another six months so that I can afford to have a warm, dry home during winter. All right. So, uh, yeah, there you go. Zoe, That's stay, my take on it. <laughs> Sharon, stay there. Got to fact check that eight grand heat bar because it's not, <laughs> not, not right about that. Stephen Franks. I was curious, and, and Sharon will probably have a comment on I used to, uh, for many years, was on the board of Paymark, and one of the curious things during some of the crises was the way people respond. They, When they become insecure or worried, they stop buying whiteware and big things, mm. but they increase purchases of things that some of us might think you would be the first things you'd stop. They increase purchases of alcohol and, and restaurant meals and, and fast food. And so I, I haven't been there now for a couple of years, but that was quite a, a, a pattern that was too, totally counterintuitive. And the explanation we were offered was that when they when they know they can't spend on something big, they compensate themselves mm-hmm. by more small spending. But Sharon might have a view. There might be more research it's the, on it. It's the lipstick index, right? When <laughs> times of re- recession, women buy more lipstick because it's a small right. kind of win. Is, is that yeah. right, Sharon? Yeah, well, I haven't, I haven't tested it in New Zealand, but uh, yeah, that, that is the example I was thinking of. Yeah, so there, there's two types of goods, I suppose, that can do well when times are tough, and one might be those small treats rather than big treats that you're talking about, and absolutely the, the spending on durables uh, and whiteware and that sort of thing has, has dropped off um, very quickly as the housing market is called, as you would expect. Mm. Uh, but the other sort of good that can do well is the what economists call an inferior good. Um, so the classic example would be sausages instead of steak, or perhaps beans instead of sausages, or you know, depending on where you are on the income scale, um, I suppose. Uh, so, and supermarkets can do quite well as people start eating out less. That that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Stephen, I was curious. I, 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 I last weekend was talking to a, an architect who specialised in kitchens, who said it it's just dropped off a cliff. That, mm. that there's Gosh. less than a third of the inquiries that he would have had over the last few years on average per, per month and that it's not going somewhere else because the builders that he works with say it's stopped. And That's I, extraordinary. Yep. Well, can I bring in this, uh, the stats here? Uh, unemployment stayed the same as last month, stayed at 3.4%. Just to comment on that, Sharon, have we ever had such a tight labour market? Uh, yeah, six months ago. Yeah, so yeah, the labour market is looser than it was, uh, but absolutely, it was it was really really extreme. And of course, that was because of the quite artificial situation yeah. with the border shut. Uh, so yeah, it was off the scale. So in that regard, it, it's perfectly logical that wage growth would be outpacing inflation. That we're actually getting positive real 
wage growth, um, given the relative scarcity of labour. You know, the workers have had quite a, a lot of bargaining power. And that was actually the bright spot in this survey, was that people were feeling very, very secure in their jobs. But of course, at the same time, you've got the Reserve Bank forecasting the unemployment rate to start rising pretty much immediately and in pretty much the way it did in 2008 to a lower level. Um, but yeah, someone's wrong. How do you how do you see us uh, as a nation? Uh, it might be beyond the brief here addressing these staffing issues that are affecting nearly every sector. Well, net migration is running at a hundred thousand pace, so uh, I think that's sort of immigration. Uh, it's a big question marks around how long that will be sustained, but that's that's a, an, a very abrupt boost to labour supply. And so we saw employment grow 0.8% in the first three months of this year. I think that was probably mostly a supply story. So basically, rather than labour demand suddenly taking off again, it's rather that unmet labour demand was finally finding workers. Very good to have you on, Sharon. Thank you. That's Sharon Zolm there, Chief Economist uh, at ANZ. It is 17 past four on the panel RNZ. We have Zoe George and Stephen Franks with us this Thursday afternoon. Now... Another story here, records are tumbling when it comes to weather-related claims. IAG received 41,596 weather claims in the six months to February. How many claims the same period last year? 8,000, just over. Insurance Council records smashed already in 2023. Claims standing at $2.47 billion by early April. Last year, $351 million in extreme weather general insurance claims. So are we at the pointy end of this insurance issue? Will I still be insurable in 10 years? If not, what can I do about it? With us is Belinda Story. Belinda, kia ora. Kia ora. It's quite real world stuff, isn't it? I was talking to a homeowner in West Auckland a week and a half ago saying, look, you know, um, got a house, 30 metres below that is a small stream, but even then his house was inundated on Jan 27 and he's not quite sure what to do now, whether he can even sell it. Uh, At the moment, um, he's probably waiting to find out what the government's response is likely to be. That's right. Uh, The government government has talked about having um, three categories of houses. Um, I suspect that there's going to be too few houses that are going to be put into category category three. So that individual may find that they're encouraged to rebuild, uh, but they're almost certainly likely to have another major event occur, um, certainly during the length of the the building itself, so say 50 years, and maybe even during the period of the mortgage. Goodness, that's not a solution, is it? Uh. One one solution is that we make the difficult decisions today and don't rebuild. All right, they're on the panel on this. Shall we start with Zoe? Yeah. Building in smart places helps, I think, a lot. Um, you know, these stats are quite incredible, but what was fascinating during Cyclone Gabriel was the number, the percentage, the high percentage of people who did not have insurance, particularly in the Hawke's Bay, during that terrible weather event. And this also comes back to the cost of living. I was talking to my insurance broker recently, and she said that so many of her clients are getting rid of insurance because they can no longer supposedly afford are it. They? Yes. Um, so it's the whole thing of, can we afford insurance? Because the premiums keep going up, and it really pinches every Every year it goes up and up and up and up. Um, so do we just get rid of it and have the bare minimum insurance? 
yeah, it's it's tough. Stay it's there, really Belinda. Tough. Let's bring let's bring in Stephen. You can respond to both. Yeah, we might have had a long period when we've just accepted that um, we ought to be protected against some of these fate things. I mean, we've always accepted that you get sick and you get cancer, you get things like that. But New Zealanders have been fully insured. In many countries, that's not the practice. California, for example, I think, for earthquake insurance, for example, I think that the average coverage is less than 25%. In Japan, it's about 15%. And the, the philosophy is different. It says well, these are catastrophes that are going to happen. Mm. The purpose of insurance should be to get you back on your feet as quickly as possible, but you won't. it's not to put you back in the position you were before. And one of the benefits of that is probably a bit like we saw in Thailand after the huge tsunami. Businesses were up and running in a shed or a garage within a, within a few weeks. Whereas New Zealand will get paralysed, in, in Christchurch we're still waiting for decisions to be made by the insurers. And I think that New Zealanders might be spontaneously saying, I'd rather spend the premiums now and I'll take my luck when it comes. The, 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 the political question is, will, can we really make that a credible choice or right. will they come back and say no I still want to be bailed out from my decision Well, and it, it's, it's, it's one that could be very important because there'll be a lot of houses that probably should still be occupied or should be rebuilt to a, a standard that might only recognise that they could get washed away again um, where if we say to the state you're not rebuilding at all that's a, that's a huge waste you'd be better to let it be rebuilt but recognise we won't rescue you financially We'll rescue, may rescue physically, we won't rescue you financially. It still could be much better for, say, for a group of flatters to, who, who don't have a lot to lose, don't have a family, to live there. There could be a whole lot of reasons why we'd just accept the risk. Belinda, there's a very interesting angle there. How do you respond to what uh, Zoe and Stephen are saying? Uh, so what, we've, what we see in uh, the international uh, publications is that there is no democratically elected government is able to say no after a disaster. Uh, it's a subset of moral hazard called charity hazard. So even if people say before the event, I'm, you know, I'm, I want to live here, I want to continue to live here, and I accept the risk, invariably when there is a major event, um, there is significant public sympathy for those people affected, and they almost always um, uh, do receive some sort of compensation. Because because it's demanded, uh, is it not? I mean, as Homer in West Auckland was saying, I want the government to do something. It's a governmental issue. This was their person's point of view. It might be, though, that, that, that you would recognise that we'll all want there to be something, mm. something to help, but it might be that it'll be more on the Japanese approach. It'll be help for you to, to buy tools again, to, to, to move, to find a place to rent, but it won't be putting you back in the house that you had in the financial position you had that could be it could be quite different so i i'd say right. you can probably find countries democratic countries where there's an approach that it, that isn't the same as the one we've been looking for here what became clear to me and i guess my take was and also sort of covering it it became clear in the Auckland floods. The Nelson floods actually last year when the Maitai broke its banks was not just the inundation of, uh, uh, of that nature, also the slips and the issues they mm-hmm. caused. It wasn't just about coastal inundation. Um, are we taking this issue seriously? I mean, it just seems to be such a massive uh, issue. Do, uh, do you think the government's really across this um, problem? 
There is a significant difference between flood damage and landslide damage and that landslide damage is almost always covered by EQC. So that's a long-established arrangement that we've right. had with the international reinsurers. Um, however, we do continue to build in, in stupid places um, and we continue to renovate or intensify in places that are clearly um, going to be hit again. So... Um, Yes, landslides are definitely something that um, we should be concerned about. But at the moment, there is a public subsidy on those. Right. So you are saying your your message is that we can't really delay uh, this issue. We've got to start preparing really uh, now. If we don't um, make difficult decisions now, we're effectively forcing those difficult decisions onto the next generation. If we don't take measures that actually permanently reduce the risk by getting out of harm's way, we're going to be asking future generations to pay for those getting people out of harm's way. Um, so we can spend a lot more money trying to hold the ground when we're, we're not going to be able to hold that water out, or we can make difficult decisions today, even if it costs some lump sums to begin with. Good on you, Belinda. Thanks for being with us. That's Belinda's story. Uh, Warren in Paidoa says, Our house in Waihi Beach was flooded twice. Big damage. Council did nothing except make our house a flood zone. I don't see how government can do anything uh, for some but not others, is uh, Warren's point of view. Uh, and we will get a, uh, a check on that eight grand heat pump there. Um, <laughs> oh, yes, uh, there's a caveat with that. I'm also putting in a ventilation system there so you that go. my home is dry I, I because just, that's very important. I just wanted to get good price. Yeah, I didn't yeah. want to just... No, no. Okay, good I on you. I shopped around. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I think it's very important to have a warm, dry, comfortable home. 26 pass for the panel. A completely different topic here for Thursday afternoon, but I wanted to bring and raise it with uh, the panel. And actually, you, I really want your opinion on this. A teacher who has had enough, a teacher at his wit's end, just trying to get his students to do the simplest of tasks. And it has nothing to do with you this. So hurry up and sort your shit out. This wasn't being useless today. Was actually useless. It's taken an hour to do nothing. Actually nothing. You've glued four straws to four bits of paper. Useless. When it comes time to doing the assessment, you guys are going to be f***ing about going, what do we do? What do we do? And then you're going to want me to help, and I'm going to go, what did you do last time? And you're going to go, well, I f***ed about. Okay, the teacher from Nailing College, Nelson, was filmed yelling and swearing at the students. You heard it right there. You've glued four straws to four bits of effing paper. Useless. Uh, I talked about this Zoe around the water cooler and opinions varied, ranging from unacceptable to being actually quite understanding of the teacher and sharing his abject frustration. Where do you lie? Yeah, I mean, I can see both sides. Swearing at a student or students is probably not the greatest of of things, but also on the whole scheme of things, it's not the worst sort of inappropriate behaviour, but I feel his frustration and teachers across the country are feeling frustrated right now as well. They're going back on having rolling strikes over the next couple of weeks. They're at a stalemate with their pay and conditions. I feel that teacher's frustration. Uh, Look, uh, as someone says, good on them. Students need this. You know what, Stephen, if little junior, if I found out that he was faffing around, faffing around in class like that, uh, not um, wanting to even glue a straw to a bit of paper, I- I'd pull him aside and have a couple of words. 
<laughs> a couple of words. <laughs> I, I, I just didn't really have much to say. To me, um, the school, the principal, really sh- should have backed his teacher and told the complainants, if they are complainants, to get a life. Uh, what are these little snowflakes? They don't, can't be, I bet they speak much worse than that to each other. And this, this teacher's just a natural human and faced with an impossible position that they don't have any effective discipline. Poor bit, poor devil. I'd say most parents too would support you, your view, and and what I sense is our consensus. Get, oh my goodness! Get off his back! Get off his back! Uh, all right. Ah, oh, yes. Now the texts are coming. Gosh, um, others though. Stephen Frank said, um, you know, gluing four straws to four bits of paper. It's a college. Wouldn't you be bored if that was your task? That could be, but we don't know what that was. What what else they mm. were supposed to do? He said that's all you managed. They might have had a. I mean, I, I, one's very mistrustful of the rigour that's applied anyway. But they might have had a lot more they could have done or should have done. We don't know. Zoe. Yeah, I guess you can lead a horse to water. In this kind of context with students, uh, I don't have a lot of interactions with teenagers at, at the moment. Yeah. But uh, I used to be one, and not that long ago. So, but I was incredibly studious. Can't yes. you tell? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, yes, a lot of uh, thoughts coming uh, about that. Uh, a teacher just at his wit's end trying to get his students to do the simplest of tasks or uh, absolutely unacceptable. Uh, and the students could have been uh, made to do some uh, other more interesting things. I don't know. Your thoughts most welcome on that. You are on the panel on RNZ National. This afternoon we have Zoe George, uh, who is uh, a senior speaker journalist at Stuff, and we have lawyer Stephen Franks this afternoon. He hasn't been on for quite a while, so good to have him back.